to IEP Radio, a show dedicated to the education of all things indoor environmental quality related. And now here's your host, Michael Schrantz. Welcome to IEP Radio. This is episode 23. Today I'm going to be talking with Ashok Gupta, founder and developer of the Gupta program, which was the first brain retraining program uh, that was really uh, commercialized back when, when we were dealing with DVDs. Um, Ashok is uh, a filmmaker, a speaker, and most certainly appropriate here, a health practitioner who's basically dedicated his life um, to help people with chronic illness and, and, and comes from a place of personal experience, someone who has suffered, who has been there and found his way out of it. Um, he is a uh, published author, uh, which we will be talking about that during our interview. And really, the focus today is to bring enlightenment to my audience uh, about this program, this idea that uh, for those of you who are suffering, it's not oftentimes just an environmental exposure. There are other things to consider. Some of you are familiar with looking at diet, for example. But many of you uh, may have heard from people saying, oh, you're, it's just in your, just in your mind, uh, you're crazy, uh, when we know that there's something more to it. And uh, in, in researching the Gupta program and in talking with uh, Ashok about it, it is ever clear that this plays an important role, this idea of uh, you responding, uh, your brain responding to exposures and over-responding, over-reacting and causing problems that might actually be preventing you from uh, getting better. Uh, forward to this show. I hope you do too. Ashok Gupta, thank you very much for joining us today. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me. It's wonderful to be with you. I know we already had a little bit of time to uh, give an introduction and let uh, the audience know a little bit about you. I wanted to start off by just telling our audience that, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to invite you on the show today was because the line of work I do, I deal with many people who have chronic illness, whether it's CIRS, um, multiple chemical sensitivities, Lyme, uh, the list goes on. There's always this common theme about the environment affecting them. And we know that for people with chronic illness, no matter what side of the aisle you sit on as a clinician, or a thought leader, that there is a general agreement that there's some influence that living in a tight home building with contaminants and other things can pose an issue. But along the way, I've also learned that a lot of times there could be more at stake here. You start hearing words as you, as you learn about uh, chronic illness, things like limbic system and vagal nerve and, and retraining the brain. And you know, uh, to an indoor environmental professional, these are foreign words. We don't learn about these things uh, when, we're get, when we're learning how to turn on a pump and sample in the field. Um, and I gotta tell you, uh, last year, 2019, we'll call it pre-COVID, if people were to ask me the number one thing that I thought was the most game-changing, eye-opening thing for me, um, people would think it would have to do with some sort of special sample or remediation or, or cleaning. I would say it was none of the above. The biggest thing I saw that changed in a positive way the most amount of people were the people that were taking reach brain retraining programs, things that were focusing on fixing uh, limbic system issues, PTSD-type issues, and it was so, I mean, we're talking about people that almost had a reversal. They were heading down a path or a trend where there was no hope. Um, they, 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 could, they couldn't function. They were bedridden to months later hearing back from them. And literally, they sounded like a different person. And it was just amazing. It was very touching. And it was a, an awakening moment. Now, fast forward to 2020, uh, putting the virus off to the side, this pandemic that we're dealing with. I, I keep hearing this name. I keep on hearing Gupta and Gupta program. And, and then I find out that uh, one of my office manager's wife is taking your program. And, and I realized that there's this whole other program out there. And I thought I have to get Ashok on the program if I can, because folks, for those of you that are listening, this is such a huge part, a huge consideration with the work that we're doing. If you're one of those people that are out in the field uh, assessing a home, that's great. We got to try and help uh, address the problem. If you're a clinician, a big part of this, I see a lot of clinicians that just base success of a home on having to have a good hurts me score or a good ERMI score or no growth on a Petri dish. And this goes well beyond this. I'm seeing people that seem to be affected up in the brain that are preventing what would seemingly be like a straightforward case from being able to recover. So it's been a very eye-opening experience. And I thought, why, what better way to kind of knock this out of the park to invite a guy that created the program? So Ashok, I'm wondering if you could take a moment just to kind of explain who you are and what the Gupta program is, and that way the audience can know where we're starting from. 
Great. Well, Michael, thank you so much for that, uh, for that introduction. Um, so my background is that I actually suffered from ME, chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, when I was at university. And for me, you know, if you can imagine, I was in my early 20s, I had my whole life ahead of me, and you probably hear this story quite often. And suddenly, I can't get out of bed. I'm exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally. And for people who don't understand how ME and chronic fatigue syndrome feels like, it's like literally your worst day of flu times 10, right? That's how I would you know, describe it. And suddenly there's this brick wall in front of me, doctors telling me there's nothing that you can do about your condition, that's it, you've got it for life, there's no cure, there's no recovery. And you start going onto patient forums and they're telling you the same and you think, what on earth is going on? What, what have I done? to deserve something like this in my life. Yeah? And for me, that started a quest in the mid nineties to really understand that particular illness and associated illnesses. And I looked deeply into the brain neurology of emotion, the brain neurology of illness. That was my kind of focus because I really felt like this was something not in my mind, but in my brain. And that was my kind of gut instinct. Um, and so I did a lot of research and through that, I was experimenting with my own brain and my own brain retraining in the mid nineties. And I managed to get myself um, fully well, a hundred percent well. For me, I would describe it as it, at that time it was a cure for me. And I thought, this is amazing, right? I really want to get this out there. So I, then I published a medical paper uh, online in 1999. And then it was published in Medical Hypothesis in 2002, uh, which was my main hypothesis as to what causes chronic fatigue syndrome and ME but I believe is also highly relevant for fibromyalgia, uh, POTS, uh, chemical sensitivities, et cetera, similar hypothesis um, occurring. And then I set up a clinic uh, in 2001 and then suddenly realized everyone's very different. <laughs> so then it was a process of many years of working with patients and seeing what works, what doesn't work. And we published our uh, treatment protocol online in 2007. So we were the, the first and original brain retraining program um, which was a DVD program in 2007. And we've been going since then, and we've had some medical studies, which I'm sure we'll go into. And then we revamped our program in 2019, updated it with all our latest um, technology and information. And uh, yeah, have been going ever since then, treating patients around the world. Just like that, just as easy as steps as one, two, three, never mind the minutiae and the time and the energy, the blood and the sweat and the commitment. Um, I can't say I've gone to the depths as dark as you've had to go to. I remember you telling something in one of your videos, having to crawl to the bathroom because you were so weak and so ill. Uh, many of the people that are listening today, though, have been there. And I have family and friends who are there right now. You mentioned something about, I thought it was, you know, it's not a mind thing, it's a brain thing. Help explain that because to a lay person, I'm thinking that's the same thing, mind, brain. What are you talking about that, that you figured out that, because people, I'll just say it, the elephant in the room is that um, some people call people crazy. Oh, it's just in your head. It's psychosomatic. You, you don't, you know, you're just, you're just a crazy, you're a hypochondriac, that kind of thing. Right, exactly. So let's be very clear about this. For me, that delineation is so important because these illnesses are not psychological. So when someone says it's in the mind, it's psychosomatic, you're making it up, you're fearing it, that, in, that seems to make them, that person, uh, kind of almost persecuted by the medical profession to say it's not real. It's in your head, it's in your mind, you've made it up. When we're saying it's in the brain, we're saying it's beyond conscious awareness. So it's beyond the mind's awareness, what is going on. It's deep in the brain. Just like the immune system is in our, is being triggered by our nervous system and our brain. But that is beyond conscious awareness. So we wouldn't say that the immune response that we have is in the head. Right. It's a real physiological response that's beyond our control, it's unconscious. So that's what I mean, the difference between it's in the mind and it's in the brain, okay? So the, I believe that all of these illnesses start in the unconscious brain, often without any conscious awareness whatsoever. Sometimes there is a level of conscious awareness, sometimes there isn't. And then those illnesses perpetuate unconsciously without that mind input. And what we do here at the Gupta program is say, actually, there are some novel brain retraining techniques where we can access some of those unconscious processes and be able to influence and change them. And this is not a mind process, it is a neuroplasticity process. And I'll give you an example of this. Um, many of you may have heard of uh, phantom limb pain, right? Where they've noticed that they actually amputate someone's leg. And even though the leg is amputated, 
the person is still feeling like the leg exists and is still feeling like there, there is pain in the leg. Yeah. yeah. Now that's not in the mind, that's in the nervous system and in the brain. But then doctors are able to teach someone to be able to let go of that pain, those pain signals that are coming from the phantom limb. So this is where traditional medicine has separated the psychology department and this department, the immunology department. The, the nervous system and the brain don't separate like this. It's, it's completely artificial to separate this. So this is where the idea of holistic medicine and integrative medicine um, comes into play as very important of these kinds of illnesses. So we talk about some of the studies you've, you've done. I think that this is a great moment to, to praise the work that you've done. Because again, I mean, it starts from the late 90s um, and then obviously has gone through some evolutions like we all have with our careers and our understandings. You've had some new studies. There was one that just came out uh, this month um, exactly. dealing with uh, um, uh, fibromyalgia. I'll, I'll, I'll shut up real quick. Could you explain to the audience what this was about? Uh, feel free to share your screen if you like, but there, here's some nuggets right here, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're very excited that just this month, uh, we finally got our study published in the Journal of Clinical Medicine, so one of the top 10 journals in the world. And, you know, it really, I think, vindicates what all the hard work that myself, my team and all the coaches have been doing, really believing in this when the medical profession, you know, really didn't take us seriously. And this, I, as I understand it, is the first randomized controlled trial on a neuroplasticity approach um, towards a physical illness. Right on. And so this is a really groundbreaking study. So essentially uh, we took 45 patients in Spain and half of those patients took relaxation techniques. Uh, these were patients with fibromyalgia, so a diagnosis of fibromyalgia. So half of them took relaxation techniques and then a similar intervention, they took the Gupta program, which here is referred to MAIR. So that's mindfulness plus amygdala and insular retraining, which is the combination makes up the Gupta program. And this was just an eight week intervention. So we're not talking, you know, months and months and months, a very right. short intervention. And after that eight week intervention, bearing in mind the Gupta program is normally a six month intervention. Yeah, right. There was close to a 40% reduction in fibromyalgia scores, a 50% increase in perceived health, you know, almost a halving of pain catastrophizing and almost a halving of anxiety and depression. And you can see there in the control groups, um, you know, the, the changes were very low compared to the active group. Right, right. And so this is a groundbreaking result because it, for the first time it shows that neuroplasticity techniques are effective for pain management. And in fact, fibromyalgia isn't really the condition we started with. We started with ME and chronic fatigue syndrome, but we're also getting similar results with um, like chemical sensitivities and mold sensitivities as well, which often overlap. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about, not, not to interrupt you, but is there some way of knowing a person who's listening that might be diagnosed with fibromyalgia versus chronic inflammatory response syndrome? Does that qualify one or the other to take a program like this? Um, it's such a good question. You know, what are the crossovers? What do we treat? What don't we treat? All of these illnesses come under the banner of what we call neuroimmune conditioned syndromes. Neuro, because they're in the nervous system, immune because they involve an inflammatory response, conditioned because they're learnt in the unconscious brain, and syndromes because they involve a unique pattern of symptoms, depending on the genetic, environmental, and physiological vulnerability of that human being. Nick. So just nicks, exactly. So they nick your energy, as, as it were. And so does someone have CIRS with fibromyalgia, or does someone have fibromyalgia with CIRS? It's an invalid question because actually this separation that we've made um, is simply based on the, um, the kind of cluster of symptoms. Whereas in fact, the underlying cause can be very similar. It's a nervous system and immune system that has completely uh, overcome any inhibition and feels that it's protecting the body with an over inflammatory response and overstimulation of the nervous system, the immune system, and Literally, the body and the brain are just firing off, using up energy unnecessarily and inappropriately. So a mistake has been made by the brain, a mistake that it thinks is correct, um, but actually is stimulating um, responses which are causing uh, lack of homeostasis and causing ill health. Yeah. So essentially, we treat even Lyme disease successfully. We treat CIRS, we treat mold because the underlying process is very similar. Right. Okay. So, 
So just for, if nothing else, my own clarification, clearly there's the, the, the neurological part of this. And, and what I'm learning to appreciate is just how much it plays a role, just how powerful it is. I, I've been kind of, we've all been programmed to originally at one point in our careers to conventional medicine. If there's not a test code, it's not a problem kind of a thing. And then we learn and we evolve and it's like, well, I've learned about people who are, I've heard the term genetically susceptible. Like uh, it's just the, what was in your DNA. Sorry, mom and dad passed it down to you. You're having to deal with this susceptibility to where the reason why you react adversely when you walk down in that moldy basement is because you're genetically susceptible. So how, how in telling you that, uh, am I describing something that the Gupta program deals with or addresses, or is that a separate thing? Right. Our genes are not our destiny. That is the key thing. Yeah. So we've been traditionally taught that, okay, you have that gene. Sorry, guys, nothing you can do about it. Amen. And we, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was thought, right, once we map out our full DNA structures and all our genes, we'll be able to, you know, solve all illnesses and diseases. And suddenly they realized there was something called epigenetics, which is how are those genes actually switched on and off? How do they respond to the environment? And actually, diseases like heart disease and cancer, where they thought, you know, perhaps they're 100% based on our genetic code, actually 80 to 90% is based on our lifestyles. It's how our genes respond to the environmental triggers. Okay. So our genes are not our destiny. And even the, the genetics that we know about in terms of detoxification in mold and lime and all these things, I still don't believe are the full story. Just because you have that genetic vulnerability, it simply means that it's so much more important that you engage in brain retraining and environmental changes to overcome that genetic vulnerability. Right. Well, then let me pitch let me pitch one more thing. And again, I think about this in terms of going to see your primary care physician. And whenever you go into the office, what do they have? They have a form for you to fill out. And you know, one of the questions is always, do, do you or your family members have the following? And they ask things about heart disease. And there's like a list that's a mile long. What you're telling me is, is while it's great to be aware of Patap's history because there could be cues of evidence, it doesn't have to define who you are. Is that what I'm hearing you tell me? Yes, exactly. So what we're saying is that we have been sold this myth that these illnesses are passed on from generation to generation. There is a genetic risk, yeah? But overall, uh, if you look across you know, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, we're looking at a risk of about 20, 30% uh, risk factor based on your parents, but actually 70 to 80% of most illnesses are based on your lifestyle and your environment, you know? Okay. Um, so Michael, what I thought would be useful is if I share my screen, I can kind of just give you a background to the overall hypothesis for uh, what I believe causes these illnesses. And then I think then that will give obviously your viewers um, a kind of deeper understanding. Absolutely, please do. It's a great segue. Great. Okay. So I'm just gonna share um, some slides here. So I've talked right. about these kind of neuroimmune condition syndromes. And the background that I want to kind of share with everybody is the map is not the territory. Uh, this is actually a phrase from NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming, how we, how we change the way that we kind of feel through language. The map is not the territory. And this, is, this goes to the root of the kind of science behind mold illness and all of these and chemical sensitivities. What we're saying here is the brain creates a representative map of what is going on in our environment and what is going on in our bodies. But it is not reality, it is a map, okay? Now, let me give you an example. Let's take something fairly innocuous. Let's say um, uh, vet war veterans coming back from war um, in the Middle East, right? So we know that war veterans are become very anxious and very stressed when they are in those war zones. And then they come back to their home country. And even though they, the war is over, the brain has made a map that certain things are highly dangerous. So when a car backfires or suddenly they hear a loud bang, their brains will stimulate a massive traumatic response, a panic attack type of response. Okay, so even though the territory has changed, the physical territory has changed, the brain has made a mental map of what is the most appropriate response given X, Y, Z. Okay, now let's now, now we move on to the next kind of layer. Let's take, for instance, hay fever, yeah, or asthma. The brain has made a representation of what uh, pollen means, it's given it a meaning based on a traumatic experience. And many people who get hay fever remember that first time that they first got hay fever and from then on they kept having that reaction, yeah? 
So what we are learning here is that the brain makes mistakes because the brain is highly efficient, right? Um, another example of this would be a rabbit runs into a field where there's a fox, right? And that field happens to have lots of blue, uh, blue flowers in it, right? Bluebells in it. Yeah. Now, if that rabbit becomes highly traumatized in that moment and runs away from the fox, every time it runs into a field with blue flowers, it will assume there is a fox there and will now avoid fields with blue foxes. Uh, this, blue all makes, this all makes sense. I agree. Yeah. So the map is not the territory. So our neurons essentially, and our whole nervous system are, are, you know, has evolved over millions of years to make us adapt to our environments. So we are the product of those millions of years of evolution. And in fact, what's very interesting is our DNA contains the DNA of all the animals that have evolved to get to us to where we are, which is you know, fascinating. So we are survival creatures. Our, the brain's priority is absolute survival. And we've spent millennia you know, in a very different environment to the way we live now. Suddenly, in the last few hundred years, we live in wooden or concrete boxes or brick-built boxes, um, out of sunlight, out of daylight, sitting in front of a screen, sedentary, which goes completely against what this body is designed to do and what it is for. Okay. Now and we're speaking we the same language, by the way. <laughs> Sorry? So now we're speaking the same language. You just described the dilemma we talk about all the time. You have this evolution of people that go back millennia, depending on what your belief system is. And then all of a sudden, in a matter of 100 to 150 years, we, we went to these modernized homes and we're like, what's happening? What, what, this is weird. It's Yeah, exactly. Quick. So the body is not designed to be in these kinds of environments. Okay. And I, I mentioned phantom limb pain before, so I won't, I won't go back to that. So the way that we are living is creating a pro-inflammatory bias in the population. And pro-inflammatory simply means that our background immune systems are just being triggered, especially TH2, um, where we've got low-grade inflammation inside the body. And that can be down to pollution and chemicals, stress in the mind, a lack of deep sleep, diet. It's all having a pro-inflammatory effect, which is then increasing the kinds of illnesses which may result as a, pro, as a result of pro-inflammatory bias, mm -hmm. which is obviously mm -hmm. the ones we're discussing, but also cancer and heart disease and all of these different things. And so I want to just begin uh, just describing the hypothesis in terms of how an environmental illness may start. So generally we find that is, um, uh, number one, some kind of chemical or mold exposure combined with a genetic vulnerability, which we've spoken about, and chronic or acute stress. Yeah? And a combination of those things means that whilst normally the brain would just think, oh, there's a chemical, there's some mold, I can handle that, it's absolutely fine, um, I will just detoxify it or whatever. But when we're under chronic or acute stress, our detoxification system is shut down. So it may well be that there is an accumulation of mold, there is an accumulation of a chemical or heavy metal, which then, scares the brain into a traumatic response. So the combination of that physical trigger combined with chronic and acute stress where we're not detoxifying effectively can then lead to this vicious cycle where there is an impact on the unconscious brain, especially in the amygdala, the insula and the hippocampus, which I won't go too deeply into now, but certain brain structures that we've identified, which then leads to a chronic sympathetic arousal. So our, our nervous system gets highly uh, attuned to be on a hair trigger keeps overstimulating and our immune system also begins to um, act in a dysfunctional way overreacting to anything that reminds it of the original trigger so in some cases the original trigger may have been mold it may have been a chemical but also stress can trigger this particular reaction and i we know many patients who say actually i seem to get worse outcomes with stress now why is that it's because neurons that fire together wire together. So if we've got chemical exposure combined with chronic or acute stress, those two neurons keep firing together and eventually they become bonded together. So either stress or re-exposure to the, the chemical or the mold can create this massive response in the immune system and the nervous system. It's become trained to do that because the brain is efficient and sometimes quick and dirty. It makes a quick decision to do something to protect because survival is the number one priority. Yeah. The body doesn't care how well you feel. It cares about passing on its genes to the next generation. You know? And in this 
more toxic environment, more mold infested environment that we live in, the brain will get stuck in that kind of mode, which then creates the symptoms at number six and also secondary illnesses at number seven. So more allergies and sensitivities and latent virus and bacterial reactivations, which then swing back to the brain. And the brain is now hypervigilant, um, hyper aware of what is going on. All of the different signaling in the brain gets massively um, over responding, which signals back to the brain that we're in danger. There's something wrong. And the brain says, I knew it. I knew we were in danger. Let me trigger more defensive response, which then creates this wave, this vicious cycle. And if there was another arrow on the right-hand side leading to number five, it would simply say exposure. So when you re-expose to chemicals or mold, there will once again be a response. And so is it the mold, is it the chemical which is the root cause? Well, that is the trigger, but the response is a, tra a physiologically tra traumatized response or a traumatic response uh, based on survival. Just like um, the war veteran who's responding to a balloon popping, as an example. And the key thing that I want to share with your audience, which sometimes it can be a, a, a kind of recoiling against this kind of hypothesis, is that we aren't saying that chemicals and mold are good for you. Certainly not. Certainly, we want to reduce those in our environment. We want to reduce the overall toxicity that we're exposed to. Everybody in the environment should be doing that. Everyone in the world should be doing that. But if there is this massive allergic reaction, this massive sensitivity reaction, that is a trained response that your brain compared to somebody else's brain has now got stuck in. So by all means, reduce the exposures, reduce the mold uh, in your house, in your home. That's very good and very important, but it doesn't justify the reaction that is occurring. And we have many patients who actually use our program, get better, and then we're living in a mold invested household and just didn't realize because the brain had switched off its traumatic response and they get it tested. And ironically, when they get it tested, they suddenly have symptoms come back because they realize, oh no, I shouldn't be in this environment, right? right? Uh, you're, among, you're listen. You're you're amongst family. I I, I definitely uh, to acknowledge what you said. Um, there are people that initially are taken aback when you say you, you, you. They think you mean to say that you are making less of environmental exposures, and that's not what you're saying. We of course everybody wants to live in a healthy, clean environment, and and that is a matter of focus because m many people are living in, say, for example, water damaged buildings where there is this exposure. But it's just to recognize how powerful that your brain. Has, has, has evolved with you in that relationship and how to use, you know, I think the words are applicable here. It's a vicious cycle. And that's, I can't say this clinically. I'm certainly not qualified to say this. I'd argue you are more than me, but this is what I am seeing day in and day out. I talk on average to three to five clients a, 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 a day uh, and, and around the globe. And, and they're 80% of the time, whether it's my unqualified opinion that it's 1% or it's 50%, there is this component that is missing. It's not being addressed. It's 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 not a, a binder isn't going to detox this problem per se. Th this needs to be addressed. Um, I don't know if the right word is independently. It needs to also be included in the total holistic approach that I know you're leading to. Yes, exactly. And we advise our clients who suffer from mold or chemical sensitivities initially just reduce your exposures as much as is practically possible. You know, it doesn't really make sense to me that people are saying, oh, go and live in a caravan in Arizona. And that is the only way that you can beat this. We'd have love to have you here in Arizona, by the way, but we get what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. You know, like, how is that going to, you know, help you in any way? All it's doing is re-justifying to the brain that what it's doing and its responses are perfectly justified by you trying to reduce it to that level. We've got to live practically. We live in an environment where there are chemicals around us. So rather than trying to change the environment fully and 100%, which we can't, let's change the reaction to it, yeah? And so once people get stuck in this vicious cycle, then what we notice is that the, the brain generalizes the stimuli. So you'll find, and I'm sure you've seen this, Michael, that someone may have had an initial exposure to mold, but suddenly they become reactive to any chemical. And suddenly they start generating pain or uh, you know fatigue and all these other kind of reactivities and reactions. We know that detox systems shut down during severe sympathetic responses. So yes, people may wake well qualify for having 
you know, high viral titers or having excess metal toxicity or, or more toxicity in the body. That's because the sympathetic is stopping your own most powerful detox system from working effectively. And nothing can substitute for our own systems um, doing that. And there can be peripheral and centralized sensitization, but I believe it is being driven by centralized sensitization. And there can be local and global inflammation, especially inflammation in the brain. So we know in CIRS and, and mold, there is actually swelling in the brain and actually a reduction of uh, kind of uh, gray and white matter. So there's, there's a lot of things going on in the brain and body where our own immune system is uh, creating a lot of the symptoms. Yeah, and this is where the insular and amygdala lie in the brain. The insular is actually just, just a little above that. Yeah. And these are the brain structures where I believe the kind of uh, the learning occurs or the conditioning in the brain occurs. Yeah. Yeah. Many of the brain structures uh, are kind of involved in these types of uh, reactions. Um, and in terms of a kind of model for what goes on here, I'll just bring up the main slide here, not spend too long on this. Sure. Um, here, you know, essentially we've got all of these different brain structures, a prefrontal cortex, which is our executive functions, our hippocampus, which is the memory of previous signaling, the amygdala, which is the emotional context of signals, the insula, which modulates incoming signals in the body and creates the appropriate autonomic response, the anterior cingulate that is involved in conscious sensory perception and inhibiting uh, pain. All of these structures are constantly communicating with each other to decide what is the appropriate response. Okay, so when we're getting those chemical signals, those signals are being magnified into all of these brain structures and the brain structures can no longer inhibit and modulate the responses. Yeah. And we now know that in fact, um, inhibition networks can occur from the prefrontal cortex and the orbitofrontal cortex, but also from uh, the amygdala as well. So if I just bring up the other slide, I don't know if I put it there, no, I haven't, sorry. Um, the amygdala can also inhibit uh, signals that are coming into the brain, okay? But all of these inhibition processes have stopped and brain retraining is about um, artificially initially creating inhibitory responses consciously, which then get trained deep into our unconscious so that the brain comes back to homeostasis. We can't go to what we can't go to the the grocery store and buy the solution. It takes actual work to retrain your brain because you've been training it uh, consciously or unconsciously to be okay. bonding and firing a certain way, clearly in a way that's not effective. Exactly. And if you want to see how complex this is, <laughs> all the work we've had to do, this is actually <laughs> a kind of example of what's going on with all of these different structures. So you have pain signals, or those may be uh, you know signals and, and awareness of external threats which kind of go into the periacoductal gray and the parabrachial nucleus, into the amygdala, the thalamus, you know, all of these structures then deciding what's going to ensure survival. And what we're doing is saying, actually, uh, the amygdala needs to learn to re-inhibit these processes and stop all these signals coming in, stop the danger response, and the insula needs to uh, uh, recreate a new state of homeostasis, not based on constantly triggering the immune system. And you might say, well, Ashok, how do you know it's the amygdala and the insula? Yeah. Well, animal studies have shown that when we look at deep traumatic responses, they often are within the amygdala. And that traditionally has been the area of psychology. But of course, the brain doesn't differentiate between physical, emotional, biological threats. It just says, what is a threat to survival? What do I need to ensure survival? Right. So the amygdala is now involved, and we've got lots of research on this, in pain signaling, immune signaling so is the insula. And when they've done animal studies, um, so a classic animal study that I'd like to share with you is they took uh, rats and they gave them sweet water with an immunosuppressant, okay? And they repeated that process four or five times and the rat's immune system was lowered, was signaled to lower. Then they gave the rats just the sweet water. And guess what? The rat's immune system was suppressed again. Just the sweet water signaled the rat's immune system to be suppressed. And they've done it the opposite way around in terms of stimulating the immune system. So what this tells us um, is that the immune system can become trained very easily. And where did that training occur? It occurred with the support of the amygdala, but the key conditioning was in the insula. And there's okay. plenty of published research um, on, on that area as well. So it's really, really fascinating um, uh, kind of area. So just to kind of summarize, an example I give here, which um, you know people can relate to is, this was the last soldier taken off duty at the end of the Second World War, right? So we might anticipate well, 1945, 1946, but 
maybe even 1950, it's 19, 1974. <laughs> <laughs> right? So a battalion of Japanese soldiers was defending an island in the South Pacific for 30 years after the war had ended. Now, did he why not get the notice? Sorry? Did he not get the notice? He didn't get the memo. I don't okay. think he got the memo. So his superiors had to fly in from Japan to tell him, look, the war is over. Because these soldiers become so traumatized by the experiences they'd gone through yeah. that they kept defending the island against an imaginary threat, right? So anytime a plane would go over, anytime anything came to them which reminded them of the initial sensitizing event, they would defend and start firing their guns yeah. and, and you know, be a state of um, survival. Yeah. So really, um, sorry, I'll stop the share now. So really what I'm saying is that there are so many illnesses now which are not hardware problems, they're software problems. Yeah. And take the example of a car. So we now know that uh, many problems we get in a car are actually electrical system problems. You get that warning light on your dashboard saying there's an en engine management problem. Traditional medicine has treated the physical car saying, right, there's something wrong with the engine. There's something wrong with the door. There's something wrong with this. Let's fix that. But it's a very reductionist philosophy. Instead, if we look at the, uh, the arteries of the car, the electrical system that controls everything, when there's a software bug and something goes wrong, then the car can keep misfiring or doing something wrong because it thinks that that is the right thing to do. And so it is with our nervous system, which is an electrical system across the body. The nervous system is the master software that tells all of the organs what to do. Right. And if it experiences a traumatic experience, it will always err on the side of caution keep protecting us and keep stimulating protective responses. So when we've had that mold exposure, yes, at that initial exposure, perhaps that mold exposure was dangerous for us. It was going to potentially cause an illness, but it doesn't mean that the mold exposure now is dangerous for us. It simply means that our system is now over defending, which is the right thing for it to do. Right, right. And so before we get into an overview, I'd love for the audience to get a flavor of how your program works in terms of, I know there's some steps and there's a rhythm, a cadence to, if you will, to it. I want to ask a question and, and at the risk of looking uh, completely dumb here, but is there the worry about the other side of it? Meaning, because what I'm hearing from you is that, yes, your body had a traumatic experience. Your, you, you, your brain wired yourself to be proactive. Survival is key. We got to transfer those. We got to keep those genes going. Um, and the argument, of course, uh, one of the arguments you're making is that it, you're, the evidence is showing that just because you had that experience doesn't mean every single time um, your body senses something, it doesn't mean it's accurate. In other words, you said it in the beginning, it could be wrong, makes mistakes, it's overcompensating and, you're, and your body and your symptoms are, are responding accordingly in an adverse way. What about uh, on the other end, which would be, well, what is my body going to think I'm never being exposed and I walk into a moldy basement? Like, what about on the other end of the spectrum? Uh, because I've trained my body to ignore everything. And again, I know you're going to correct me on this. What if I do walk and do like I'm swimming in a basement full of mold? Clearly, this can't be good, but I am just one with my, my brain and it's not identifying a problem. Help me understand that. Okay. So this is what, an appropriate response. So we believe that with the brain retrain we're talking about, if you get into another dangerous environment, the brain has not got overtrained. It's not completely detrained from that appropriate response. So as an example, when we're training, let's say those war veterans, we are training them to respond appropriately to loud noises or uh, kind of dangerous, uh, you know, what they feel are dangerous experiences. But that doesn't mean that if they're walking down a dark alley at night and they hear some shouting behind them, that they're not going to reinitiate the, the danger response or the, yeah, okay. the protective response. Okay. So what we're saying is we normalize the response and the, the danger signaling, but we don't completely get rid of it. And we believe that um, if a danger reoccurs, the body will still respond in that way. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, so it's a healthy response, not yeah. an unhealthy response. It's like you said, finding that balance. Okay. So, so what does this look like? I mean, obviously I've, I've done a little bit of research, but for the audience's benefit, what are we doing? Are we picking up a telephone and you guys are sub subscribing a pill? Are we watching videos? How does the Gupta program help? How, how does it work? Okay. So the Gupta program is an online program um, of videos and audios. 
and you're also sent a few materials in the post as well because we want people to have a physical manual when you, you know, can't watch a screen. And there's a series of 15 interactive video sessions, uh, which has got um, uh, exercises and videos and audios, and you're taken step by step. Yeah, exactly there. So you can see on the screen there, that is the interface that you use. And um, people can sign up for a free uh, kind of 28 day trial of the program and then see if it's right for them. And you also get webinars with myself. So there's weekly webinars where you can ask me questions and I support you through your healing. And there's holistic advice as well. So there's three R's of the Gupta program. The first R is retraining the brain. So the core of our program, what's different from anything else, is the, the seven step process to retrain your brain. Then secondly, there's relaxing the nervous system. So the overall nervous system needs to ratchet down. So there we have breathing and meditation techniques, but also holistic health techniques, advice on sleep, diet, nutrition, and pacing based on our 20 years of experience. Yeah. And finally, the third R is re-engaging with joy. Right. That we find that actually when people get these kinds of illnesses, they find it very difficult to engage their mind in anything else. Their entire mind and their lives becomes focused on trying to heal from this. And they get so identified and so involved in the, the forums and the support groups that actually we want them to re-engage with things that really provide joy in life, that re-engage the brain. And that supports the, uh, the kind of retraining, the core of it. And until we get the large scale randomized trial, we also offer a one year money back guarantee with the program. So people can try it, use it. And after six months, if they have no benefit, we give them their money back. No questions asked. We That's huge. Ask what a testimony to, to the yeah. confidence. So, so um, uh, what about, I, I, I have heard some things and not through your program, but uh, a lot of people are, are aware of uh, Annie Hopper's program. And I know there are other uh, hybrid type uh, programs that address the brain. One of the things I, I hear a lot about is, um, the commitment. Um, you know, uh, it felt like it's too much. I just couldn't do it. It was asking me to do so many minutes or hours per day. How do you handle uh, those sorts of uh, challenges for their patient challenges? Sure. So I think we, we are definitely quite different to a lot of the other kind of limbic retraining or brain retraining programs out there. We take a much calmer, more compassionate approach to brain retraining, um, where each person has to tailor it to their individual circumstances. And yes, there can be, um, it can sometimes feel with certain programs as too much to do. So we say, if you can't do this, then at least do this. Yeah. And if you can't do that, then at least do this. So that people have got a step-by-step -step process. As an example, many of our patients are bed bound because we're not only treating those chemical sensitivities and mold, but we're treating people with fibromyalgia and ME and chronic fatigue syndrome. And if you're bed bound, obviously you can't do the whole program, but people are able to do little steps, little bits of the program, then have more energy, then do some more steps, et cetera, and gradually build up to being able to engage with the whole program. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And That's we're already excellent. treating um, uh, post COVID syndrome as well, which is very interesting. So as you know, about two to 5% of patients who get COVID actually go on to getting long-term illness yeah. potentially for, at the moment, three or four, three or four or five months, that's the longest we, we kind of know, uh, but it could end up being lifelong. And we've already had patients use our program and we've had a lady who was bed bound for four months with post COVID syndrome, couldn't get out of bed, had all the classic symptoms of any ME and chronic fatigue syndrome. And within six weeks uh, of using our program, she was able to walk five kilometers a day and her videos on, you know, on our website, on Facebook. So we're beginning to see that this neuroplasticity approach is it, it, can, it can work for so many different illnesses that traditional medicine wouldn't treat because these are software problems, not hardware problems. And do you think that social media plays a role on it? I mean, I can tell you this much with, with what I've read online, even myself as a professional and trying to put my lens on separating, um, you know, fact from fiction versus heavy just opinions. Uh, that, that seems to be such a burden. I mean, you walk around, some, you know, people are walking around, you know, one virus cell, you know, gets them, their, their arm's going to fall off. It's just, there's so much weight and so much concern. And whether or not any percentage of that is validated, once you get it, I imagine that the effect on some people's brain is like their world's going to end. They hear about incubation, they hear about all these other things. And it's like, that has to play a role into the points you've been making today about the power of the brain. And it's like, this woman's bedridden. She can't get out. 
she takes the program and now she's almost basically reversed her life. I mean, it's not like you told me she, she, oh, I forgot to tell you this, Mike, but she had major surgery or she took a special supplement or anything like that. It was just, it was just this program. That is amazing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people, if you come onto the, the success stories on our page, sure. you can see MCS and mold, you can see MECFS, you can see uh, post COVID. Yeah. So if you, if you click on that, because oh, for wow. us, it's very important that people feel comfortable with this. Yeah. So here there's lots of different videos and you, um, I think on the home page, there's the one with the post COVID. I don't think it's put, been put oh, on sure. this page. Sure. So if you just go to the home page, yeah, uh, yeah. you'll see that. So um, these, and, and there's plenty of um, uh, written, written testimonials as well um, on there. So if you just scroll down, yeah, there you can see the second video there, Sandrine, post COVID syndrome success story. Yeah. And, um, you know, this gives people hope. So when they watch these types of videos, it really gives them hope that there is a way through. Oh. I was going to actually play it for the audience. I just wanted to pull it up to see if there was any information, but there it is. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why I didn't, didn't, are the other ones working? I assume the other no. ones are working. Yeah. I don't know if we're doing an IT thing. It might be my, it might be on my end. So don't, don't sweat it oh, right okay. now. But the point is, is that they have access to hear directly uh, from somebody who's gone through post COVID. Exactly. And, um, you know, if you go onto website under success stories, you can also read all the success stories on MCS and mold and all those kinds of things to give people hope. Yeah, that there is a way through. And, you know, I really want to hope that there's not this dichotomy between what the support groups are saying and the, the kind of researchers in this area that you have to avoid all of these different things. There's no way through. And you've got these other psychological techniques. Don't get don't buy into those. And, you know, we get so many patients who say to us, we got better and we went back to our forums and said, look, we healed from mold or we healed from ME. You know, you should go and try this program. And then people on those support groups say, oh, you probably never had the condition then. That's why you got better. Right, right. Because it's so embedded in their belief system. And we're saying now with this new study, which has got published, which is, you know, fantastic. Now, here is some objective scientific proof that this isn't just a placebo. This really is um you know something which has now got some objective scientific uh, research okay it was only 45 patients but we'd love to do larger trials and we believe that with a larger trial run for at least six months we would show an even more powerful effect uh, on many different illnesses and if there are researchers out there you know we'd love to partner with you um you know on showing the effectiveness of this before we close just a, a one more topic i wanted to ask you about i wanted to bring up maybe you can explain to the audience you sent me this information about the meaning of life experiment can you take a couple minutes and explain what this is and how it is the same or different from the gupta program sure so the meaning of life experiment uh is something very different to the gupta program um it's a i suppose it's a, a journey of self-development and self-awareness um so this is a kind of more general a kind of tool around that area and it's a free app which has got 30 videos over 30 days. And each day you get a meditation and a video and it's going deeper into what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? And uh, this is something I always wanted to create, uh, to create for many years. Uh, I was very lucky to be able to put this together. And uh, yeah, this is something that people can, um, you know, if, if they're interested in finding more about their life purpose, this is a, a free app. I, I don't know if it's because you're being humble or not. And, and uh, I want to just say that. So I watched that video. I, in fact, I, I downloaded the app. There it is right there. I, I'm going to follow the instructions. And I think it, it, I want to make a couple comments. Number one is just to the point of joy. We've become so, you know, we, we have things in Netflix, like the social dilemma that's coming out and, and, and people get waking up to the fact that we're kind of robotic in nature and we've, we've lost our connection. Uh, with our with with the more important things of life and you show pictures in the video of people just sitting there looking off over a vast landscape or some rocky mountains and things of that and it's funny i actually have a, a fishing trip with my father scheduled this week and i can't wait to go decompress and and the importance of that and there, there's so many powerful things about finding that happiness and waking up and 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 just resetting and and having purpose or something to aim towards there was a um quote you made in there that struck a nerve with me, in fact, it, it you know got a little teary-eyed when I heard you say it because not only could I connect to it in my own personal life, but I, it just resonated uh, like goosebumps with the amount of people that I hear with the following comment that you said it. Uh, you made a comment about self-discovery and and this idea that we need to take time out um, and and look ask these deeper meaning questions about purpose and things. And you said it doesn't have to take a big shock in our lives to step into that exploration. 
You don't have to have some sort of major um, tragedy to discover your purpose. You just have to be with the question and take the experiment. Um, that was so powerful because, in, in, again, in my experience personally, and, and probably yeah, 70 to 80% of the clients I work with, there's always this um, ominous, weird, I don't know, feeling, um, expectation, thought that they have to have some major thing happen to them. They have to be in an accident. They have to be bedridden. They have to lose a loved one. Uh, there has to be something so traumatic in order to get to the finish line. And, and, and for those of you that understand that, you can appreciate what Ashok was trying to say is that you, you don't need that. You, you can, you, you, the, the finish line is right in front of you and no one's asking you to have to sacrifice, have to go through some major sacrificial experience to get to the finish line. I needed to hear that. That was powerful. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Um, for me, what you're describing there is what does it take to awaken? Yeah. And yes, for some people, it is tragedy and suffering that yeah. awakens them. For others, it is actually seeing the tragedy and suffering of other people, which is enough to awaken. You don't have to go through it yourself, right? right. And you can see what's going on in the world. I mean, if that isn't enough to awaken everyone, right. then what, yeah. then what Everybody is, answer right? yes to that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have a global pandemic, which, you know, at some level is a, an opportunity for individuals and societies and the entire planet to awaken to a new way of being. You know, we can't go back to the way that we were before. But simple curiosity is enough to start us on a journey of self-discovery and self-awakening. That this, there's got to be more to life than what we see around us. There must be something deeper. And that's what we really explore um, in this program. It's a great, it's a great deal. And I love it. It's a, basically, it's a bunch of videos uh, that you can take. Uh, Ashok says in the uh, video that you guys can find online right here, it's just less than 10 minutes long, um, that, you know, you can watch it one per day. If that's too much, watch it every other day. The point is, is you're not, you're not required to watch it under 30 days in order for this to work for you. Um, I love that. I love the idea that this is dynamic. It's pliable. It can work with people in their lives because, you know, you want to get to the finish line, which means that you're going to make some purposeful changes, but you're not going to get eight to Z in a second. It does take some changes uh, and some temporary manipulation of things to get to the end goal. I love that. Um, yeah. And Michael, just on that point about commitment, absolutely. Sure. You know, we, we live in a, a consumer culture, a fast, quick fix culture, right? Mm. I feel like this. Give me something to fix this. Give me something yeah. to fix that. Yeah. Here's my credit actually, card. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas what we're saying with the Gupta program and also with the meaning of life is that actually transformation if it's going to be long lasting has to be deeper than that so with the gupta program we say commit to it for a minimum of six months it's not like take this drug and you'll be fine it will require continuous commitment to retrain your brain to be a new way of being but it was so worth it what can be more important than having our lives back and having our health back your 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 comment uh about the commitment of six months is is so needed for the audience to hear that i, I i'm still amazed uh, humbled really um the number of people that I talk to where they're struggling, uh, picture the classical husband and wife, the spouse, and uh, a lot of times uh, in my experience, uh, the wife might have an illness and there's the disgruntled husband in the background who doesn't believe in anything and, and, and he, but he's desperate to help. He wants to help. He'll, 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 he'll have to, he'll foreclose on the house if that's what it means to get his spouse better. Um, people are looking for a light switch solution. We've ingrained ourselves as a community with the convenience of, of so many things where not too many years, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, what's now a commodity is, it, you know, was a, was something that you actually go had to go out and look for and maybe you'd find it water being one of them. And so, and so the point is, is that, Yes, it does take time. And I'm certainly not speaking from a, a clinical perspective, but in my experience, the road to recovery uh, is, is you use words like months, maybe you even use words like years, but it's not like it's you have to sit there on day one and you don't notice any difference until you get to the finish line. Part of this is the, the road to recover is met with accomplishments along the way. And so you're getting better, you're feeling better along the way. And that's such, I can't, I tell these to people and it's like, oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. And I'm sitting here going, you've been dealing with this for years and you didn't think about the, that you get lost in what the expectations are. So well said about the idea that this is not an overnight thing, but this is, could, seems to be almost a sure way. I don't know why a person wouldn't take this program, even if you haven't been labeled with a diagnosis. It's like, yeah. this seems like it would be holistically good for anybody. 
Oh, I agree. I, I, you know, um, many of the tools and techniques within this program are applicable to anything. I mean, we, we've had people, there was a lady who had anorexia for 40 years who cured it using this program. We had somebody who's been smoking for 20 years who just used this program. You know, whatever change we want to make inside of ourselves, we believe these are the most powerful neuroplasticity tools uh, that we found that work. Yeah. Because we've refined them over 20 years. So it's, you know, changing again and again and again. And, you know, we have people who notice changes within hours and days. Others, it takes weeks. The reason we take commits for a number of months is because there will be a minority of patients where they will only get better one that once the detoxification systems have finally cleansed their okay. bodies rather than relying on external supplements. So what can happen is we want the vagus nerve to be stimulated. We want the detoxification system to be fully operational. And depending on how much detox is required, the energy may only return once the parasympathetic has been triggered for a number of weeks, if not months, and then the energy returns. And so we have a minority of patients say, oh God, thank God, Ashok, you said stick to it for four or five months because now we're seeing the benefit. It wasn't instant, whereas some people see it very quickly. Absolutely. Obviously a fantastic, uh, I think, part to consider in the equation when dealing with folks who have chronic illness and they're suffering. Uh, it seems to me that this it goes without saying that this would be definitely something that someone should be able to check off on their box to consider. This isn't some psychosomatic thing. This isn't you're just crazy. Uh, I can tell you as an environmental professional who, who's had the privilege uh, to work with people around the globe that there is this commonality and boy it's kind of like uh, goosebumps a uh, light bulb went off when when I ran into this program and I learned about it. it's like where were you all my life kind of a thing because this is a huge part for those of you listening and speaking of which for those listening uh, Ashtok how do they where do they start um, do they click on the buy now how, how can they learn how can they get the process started okay so um the first thing that people can do is we don't want people to buy this program just like that. You've got to feel sure. it's, the way it's right for you. Right. So you can click on the free trial and you get a 28 day treat free trial where you get to view lots of different videos. Um, and you know, you don't even have to put your credit card details or anything like that. So you get to have a real surf around. Well, what is this program about? What is the background? What is the hypothesis? And then if you feel comfortable with it, you then can just pay online for the program. And then you get access to 12 webinars with myself and you then work through the program. We also have a loving community of people uh, of over two, two to 3,000 people now, which you can interact with each other, you can support each other. We even have a buddy program. So if you're feeling lonely with this condition, you have another person and you coach each other through your uh, recovery. Wow. So it's a very supportive healing environment. And then you just go for it. You have that commitment. You keep going, no matter if you don't see the results instantaneously. And as you work through the program, there's more and more tools that you can employ. And um, it takes you on that journey to, uh, to health. And really, once again, there's a Zen-like quality to it, which is we don't want people to be attached to their recovery. Because the moment you say, right, I'm doing the program. Is it working? Is it working? You simply are sending messages back to your brain that you're still in danger. So there is an approach which is I'm heading in a direction, but I'm not emotionally dependent on the results. Right. When we reduce that emotional dependency, it's a very kind of Eastern philosophy. When we just do our part, do our commitments and let go of the results, then we're likely to get even better results with the program because we're not sending danger signals back to the unconscious. I feel like a, a kid who uh, discovered a new toy in his closet um, in, in terms of the, the potential um, effect that this can have on people's life. I cannot stress enough for those that you are listening. If you're one of those very uh, many unfortunate people who continue to struggle, uh, you may be environmentally, you're wondering, you know, oh, gosh, we've spent thousands of dollars to improve our home or to assess our home. We've moved. Uh, we're living in that caravan in Arizona. Um, you know, whatever the case may be, if you're not getting a, a better, take a moment. Go on to uh, theguptaprogram.com. Take a look at the free trial. I've done it. It's amazing. I love Ashok's approach. He's very open and transparent. He sells a service. He does not just sell for the sake of it. And it's worth it. Like he said, it's money back guarantee. I mean, you can't, you can't not do this. And I mean that from my heart, because again, going back to what we talked about in the very beginning, if, if there was one thing that someone said last year, what's the most amazing thing that you've been seeing that's helping people? It's not a test. It's not a remediation technique. It's not some special air purification device. It's these types of programs. And I got to tell you, holistically, this seems to be the best I've found to date. 
that can really address that part of your brain that might be very, in fact, be the roadblock in your life. And given all the stresses, we talk about the pandemic, we talk about just the day-to-day stress that you're dealing with, and, and this whole thing that we want things now, it should not be a surprise that this might very well be what that roadblock is in your life. Ashok, thank you so much for coming on to IEP Radio. I look forward to seeing you in the future. Thank you so much, Michael. It's been a real joy to to speak to you. And uh, yeah, thank you. See you next time. The content of this show is for informational purposes and represents the sole opinion of the host and its interviewees only. Any reliance on the information provided in this show is done at your own risk. Additional opinions and or research may change our current view of the topics spoken in this show. We do our best to minimize any inaccuracies presented and make legitimate efforts to back all comments with our own field experience, independent literature, or studies that support the topics discussed. This information should not be used to make conclusive decisions regarding your health or exposure. Ultimately, all questions and or concerns regarding your health should be addressed by a qualified physician. Additional exposure concerns and or questions pertaining to the health of your home or building should be addressed by qualified and on-site professionals. Any and all products and services discussed in this show should not be construed as a recommendation, endorsement, or guarantee that their use is appropriate for your situation. In short, we hope this information is of value to you, but please do not act upon it without actual and individual consultation and guidance by professionals who have taken the time and appropriate collection of data to assess your unique situation.